Now, it feels a little odd. It feels like we should have about another five or ten minutes of worship on the front end. But the thing that I've been wrestling with this week, um, as I read through the passage, uh, all of Jerusalem was caught up into some kind of a worship frenzy. And I looked at, looked at him and go, man, that is, what, what is going on here? And, and as they're, they're preparing, as they're, they're seeing Jesus come in, they're, they're saying some words, but in their, their minds, everything is going, oh, I remember what I've been taught as a child. And what I've been taught as a child was that there is a Messiah who is coming. There's going to be a great king, greater than David, who is going to be coming. And this is he. And so I want you this morning to uh, open up your Bible. If you don't have one, grab one. If you don't have one close to you, uh, there's some that are available here in the back. And we're going to be looking at Zephaniah, or sorry, Zechariah uh, chapter 9. It's a little difficult to find, probably, because we don't do a lot of stuff in the, uh, the Old Testament. So, Zechariah, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So, it's the second to the last book in the Old Testament. So, find Matthew and turn a little bit to your, to your left. And so, Zechariah, chapter 9. Verses 9 and 10. If you're still having a hard time, page 979. 797. Wow, flip some numbers around. Listen to the words, word of the Lord. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. Righteousness and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on a foal of a donkey. I will cut off from, I will cut off the chariot of Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be cut off and he will speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Rejoice greatly. Shout aloud. Rejoice greatly. Shout aloud. Okay, I know that from most of our traditions, this is like almost heretical. Rejoice greatly. Shout aloud. The last time I have really heard anybody in this church in a worship service, rejoice greatly and shout aloud was probably when Rosalind was last here. Truly, isn't it true? Rejoice greatly and shout aloud. We are the frozen chosen. But there was something about these Jewish people. When the promise of their Messiah was coming, there was something in their heart that just stirred in them greatly. And they, this, this song... Because that's what it is. It's, it's a song. Rejoice greatly. Shout aloud because why? The Messiah is coming. 
And in their heart, it just stirred up. And they're going, we can't help but. When we sing and when we talk and when we, we worship, it is, it is great and it is loud. Turn to your right, Matthew 21. And if you look at the, the title, that, that of course is not inspired, but the editors say that it is the triumphal entry. This is a great entry. It, it is the king coming into the city. And the, their heads are all going back to Zechariah 9 going, Rejoice greatly. Shout aloud, O daughter of Zion. Uh, child, how is it? It was, uh, Daughter of Zion, O daughter of Jerusalem. So Jesus is coming into the city. And here is his entry. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village, and in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied. Do you hear anything from Zechariah? A donkey tied, and a colt with her, and tie them, and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them and he will send them at once this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying say to the daughter of zion behold your king is coming humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt the foal of a beast of burden the disciples went and did as jesus had directed them they brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their uh, put on them their cloaks and he sat on them most of the crowd spread their cloaks on, on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him, and that followed him were shouting. What were they doing? Yeah, you. Uh, yeah, not that. They were shouting. They were shouting. What were they shouting? Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Who is this? And the crowd said, This is a prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The whole city was stirred. There's something strange about our church. Some of you are going, yeah, I've known that a long time. But there's something that is strangely missing from our church. And there's times where it just breaks my heart. Especially when I read passages like this. I go, what is going on? And it's not just Missio Day Church. It's almost every other church they, they go to as well. So we're, we're not exempt. It's, it's a very cultural, Christian cultural kind of thing where when we talk about Jesus as King, Jesus as Lord, Jesus as Messiah, our hearts don't get stirred up. 
Jesus is a theological thought that we kind of agree with. And sometimes we're kind of obligated on a Sunday morning to show up and do our, do our thing. We'll sing some songs. If you're a little bit more on the charismatic side, you might kind of raise your hand, but you kind of look around to see if anybody's looking. You know? And there's something missing because we look at this and we see that Jesus is the King. All of Scripture points this out that a great king is coming. All the Old Testament says a great king is coming. He's coming from the line of David. A greater one is coming. And everything has been promised. There is one coming. And then all of a sudden, boom, he breaks onto the scene in Luke chapter 2. All of heavens opens up and what happens? The angel choir sings. And they sing songs about how this God made man has broken into our world. And all of heaven breaks into song. All of heaven. The good news is shared with shepherds and they quickly do what? They quickly go and say, we've got to find out what they're talking about. And then what do they do after they find the Christ child? They tell everybody. They are so excited because maybe this same thing has, was stirring in their minds of the king has come. The promised king has come. He is coming humbly. Oh, he is coming humbly, and he's even found in a manger, in a feeding trough. The great king has come. And then you, you see his, his entry towards the end of his life, coming into Jerusalem, and all the people are saying, Oh, Hosanna! Hosanna to Lord save us! The son of David is here! The whole city is stirred. Then you look at the, at, at the end. book of Revelation and seated on the throne is a lamb who's been slain. And you have the elders and all these these strange beasts and all these angels who are doing what? Bowing down in worship. Bowing down in worship. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I'm not sure that we understand that fully in our minds, in our hearts, and how it works out into our lives. In order for us as a church and the people of God to joyfully, joyfully welcome Jesus as our King, we have got to understand properly who He is is. We have got to understand who He is. In our theme for the morning, because Jesus Christ is King and He is coming to reign, we who are subjects, are His subjects, are called to do what? We should rejoice greatly. Rejoice greatly. Do you get it? Is it even? Is there something in your head going? I'm uncomfortable with this. I get it. I know it, but I'm uncomfortable with this because right now my hands are at my sides 
and my heart is pounding because I feel a little guilty. But is there anything inside you that is welling up and going, yeah, I miss it. I had it at one time. And every once in a while I have those moments where I go, oh, I love this Jesus. But your hands kind of still kind of stay in the pockets. Because there's a little bit of the shame. And if, even if you look at how, how Jesus came in, most of Jerusalem, most of the people who were there did some stuff. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks and others cut branches. But not everybody did. Those kind of had their hands in their pocket, kind of watching from the sidelines and seeing what's going on over there. They're getting a little crazy and ecstatic over there. And they're watching, maybe a little skeptic. Skeptical, you know, going, we'll see how this plays out. I'm going to be a, I'm not going to be one of those early adopters, you know, that quickly get caught up. I'm going to be one of the, those late ones, you know, late bloomers when it comes to expressing my joy and the shouting aloud stuff. Have you ever been to like a basketball game? Where NBA game or a hockey game or, or you... Let, let's think back to the Super Bowl era of just this past year. Some of you with the Bears and the Packers, you know, there was this... Tension and all of a sudden there's a score and I'm just thinking of my wife right now. <laughs> and Nathan Phillips so it gets a little psychotic around these kind of things. And Heath. May the bears rest in peace. But there's this, this part of you that is just like, yeah! You know, it's like you get excited that my team did it! But Jesus... Hosanna, Hosanna. You know, we kind of have these kumbaya camp moments, but when it, do we have this, this shouting and this rejoicing for the King of Kings, the one who has saved your soul? And I, when they hear these stories, the prophet Zechariah say, A king is coming. This was the prediction of Alexander the Great who is coming in. And what is Alexander the Great going to do? He is going to decimate. He is going to decimate. He is going to take people into captivity. He is going to rearrange. He is going to have total control. And so the idea, even for some of us, this idea of a king is a scary idea. Because quite honestly, and I'll admit this myself, I prefer to be the king of my own domain. This is my world. And I'm going to run it, and I'm going to control it. I got you, Jesus. I know, I know. I'm in control. It's really about me. So this idea would have kind of struck a little bit of terror into their hearts. And it's even difficult to accept the news of this coming king, because there's a sense that we all want to rule our own lives. We want to rule where our income is coming. We want to rule how we how relationships go. We want to rule this and we want to rule that. We want to be in control of all these things, don't we? But ultimately, And then we forget very quickly that there is a king greater than Paul. A king greater than Matt. There is a king 
greater than Amy. He is the great king. The great king. So this morning, we have got to understand who is this king so that we can rightly rejoice, greatly rejoice, shout aloud. So I'm, I'm going to be up, up front with you. My prayer, and maybe it is I'm just shooting for the pie in the sky, but my prayer is that this sermon, this piece from the Word of God transforms our corporate worship together. That we're done being pansies when it comes to worshiping the King. Our affections are so stirred because we understand more who He is. This phrase, your, your, your King is coming, is basically the idea that from, from Zechariah that your King is coming for you. He's not just coming in to take over. He's coming for you. And that is a beautiful picture of who Christ the King is. He's not just a king coming over and just obliterating everything. He is coming for you. He is coming for us. His church, this Christ, Jesus Christ is coming for us. Not just to us. He is coming for us. His church. And to receive the benefits of that king, that all the benefits that this king brings, we need to recognize first and foremost our own need. Our need for this king. Do we understand our deep, deep need? In the Reformed tradition, we talk about our total depravity. Our total depravity. That there is not one good thing about us. Oh, we're nice people. But before a holy God, we are, we are totally blemished. And there is no work of righteousness that we could do to gain God's favor. There's nothing that we could do. You could be the best volunteer. You could be on the children's ministry all four weeks. And if there's five weeks in a month, you'll be on that schedule. You could be on the worship band, you could be an elder, you could be a deacon, you could be leading this small group, you could be part of that small group. It doesn't matter what you... There is nothing that you can do to earn God's favor. And so this, the message that the King is coming for you is, is a pronouncement of great joy and tremendous relief. He is coming for me because I so need this King. I need this Messiah. And I need all the benefits that He brings me. All of them. And this King has the power to deliver me. He has the power to deliver me from the captivity that I am in. And your captivity can be everything from self-control the captivity of pride, the captivity of lust, the captivity of you fill in your own blank. He has come to set you free from that and so much more. He has come to save you, to give you hope where you are hopeless.
And spiritually, we have got to admit as, as a church, as individuals, that, that we are under the domination of sin. We are under the domination of sin. And that sin will destroy us. And that we're unable to free ourselves except for the promise of the King who has come. So who is this King? It says that Jesus Christ is a King of authority. He has tremendous authority. And it's not the kind of authority like the Queen of England who comes out and you know opens up Parliament and she gives a nice speech. And she's kind of this revered mum of the nation. Oh, this King has total authority. He is the sovereign king. That everything that he does, he knows and he plans. It doesn't happen happenstance. It is intentionally. Even on this Palm Sunday, to fulfill this prophecy, Jesus staged a public demonstration to show the Jewish people and their rulers that he is the Messiah. And it wasn't the kind of king that they were expecting. It even goes on to show, you can see in all of the Gospels, all four of the Gospels, that Jesus was even firmly in charge of His death. He was not a helpless victim who got caught up into this political unrest and therefore got thrown in, you know, into this, this courtroom case and all of a sudden... The, the Roman uh, guy said, Pilate said, okay, send him off. Let's take care of this. Jesus, it even says in John chapter 10 that Jesus laid down his own life at his own initiative. He is the control. The great controller of all these things. He is the king who has ultimate authority over everything. And we have got to personalize this. Because that's a great idea. Okay, I understand God is sovereign over all these things. He, he's in control. He's king. Yep, got it, got it, got it, got it. But can we take it home? Can you take it home? Can you honestly say, honestly say right now, at this moment, that Jesus Christ is your King of kings? Your King. Does He rule your heart and your life? I mean, showing up here this morning is a good step. But that does not say that He is King of your life. Truly King of your life. And honestly... It begins, true, to be able to say that, begins with salvation itself. Claiming the free gift that has been given to you. Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Is He your King? Is He your Savior, the promised one for you? He has come for His people. He has come for you. Does He have authority 
in your life. Truly. It also says that Jesus, this, this coming king, is a king of justice. Zechariah says that Israel's king is righteous. In some translations, it's, it, they translate it to just, in the sense of justice. And it's the idea that this king is one who comes to administer justice to his kingdom. He is not corrupt. He's not like all the other world leaders who are out to manipulate. Jesus Christ will be just in His administration of His kingdom because He is righteous in His person. He's not to take advantage of people or His subjects for personal gain. He has their best interests at heart. He is just. It's also, you look in verse 9 of Zechariah 9. It says that He is one who is having salvation. Having salvation is He. It's like that talks about His whole person, His whole who He is. He is one who is endowed with salvation. In His very person, in His very being, in all that He is, He embodies salvation. And that's who He is. Jesus came to bring salvation to His people. He came for His people with all that He is. He's bringing salvation. And if that does not get you excited, we need to check our hearts. And dare I say, maybe you are not truly saved. If that doesn't excite you. That Jesus Christ came for salvation. In Him, He is endowed with all the salvation needed. Every part of Him. Thank you. And rejoice how? Greatly. And shout aloud. The New Testament makes it clear in conjunction with several Old Testament prophecies that in His first coming, the Messiah came to bring personal, spiritual salvation by offering Himself as a sacrifice to to satisfy God's justice against sinners. If God dismissed our sin without the penalty being imposed, He would not be just. It goes back to the previous one. He is a just king. But thank God the just king doesn't just take us out. He, yes, He comes. And what does He bring? He brings salvation. God has declared that the penalty of sin is what? Death. Not only a physical death, but also a spiritual death. An eternal separation from a holy God. And though Jesus' death was the perfect substitute, He paid the penalty we deserve, which allows God to be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. I could go into 
unpack all kinds of wrong notions about that many people have about heaven and hell. We, we, could, we could spend a whole sermon about that and it could take forever. But I, I want you to hear that a just God demands justice. And apart from a work of Jesus Christ, apart from the Spirit warming the heart and bringing us to life, we are bound for eternal separation from God the Father. And all of His justice will be poured out on us. That is called hell. Eternal torment apart from God. And apart from Christ's saving work. That is our destination. That may be your destination. But thanks be to God that He is the King who brings salvation. And that should cause us to rejoice greatly. And to shout aloud. But he's also the king of great humility. And it sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? The king of humility. When you think of a king, you know, you think of more uh, Gaddafi, right? What's his name? Where, where this guy is like kind of caught up in himself and a little delusional. He, he makes all the rules and, you know, he'll even appoint his own kids to be in, in power and control. But this is a different kind of king. He is a king of humility. It's in contrast to this Alexander the Great who is, who is on his war horse. Jesus came as a servant on not only a donkey, but one step down the foal of a donkey. And Jesus came in as our servant king in humility. Charles Spurgeon pointed out that no false Messiah ever copied Jesus in this taking a low place of a servant. But our Savior commanded us to follow Him in this regard. After He took the towel in the basin and He washed the disciples' feet, He said this, I gave you an example that you should do this also. So the King is really the King who is sovereign over all things. And He comes with justice. Gives us salvation. And what does that do? It creates servants. He came as one who serves, and his people are commanded do as I've done to you. Serve. What, what should be a mark of our church? A, a church who serves the great king, who has served us, therefore we are serving one another. If you are not serving one another, if you are not serving this world, Again, I'm not sure you understand who this king is. And there's no way that you can then rejoice greatly and shout aloud because you don't understand this king. If you, as a man, a woman, a child, a high schooler, a college student, a 
retired person, if you don't understand who this king is, thank you, Pat, for being my example again. (laughs) If you don't understand who he is, there's no way that you can truly serve. And to do it out of a heart of gratitude. I don't care where you are in this season of life. If, If you are the youngest child to your deathbed, your last breaths. The idea of the king who has come to serve in a humble way should mark your life and transform the way that you live in this world. He's also the, the king of all creation. This is evident in the fact that he wrote that he rode into Jerusalem on an unbroken colt. In other words, one that, that has no riding experience. And this is even, and maybe this is just me taking this way out of context, but the idea that the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe, came in and was going to ride down the center of Jerusalem with all kinds of crowds waving palm branches, throwing their cloaks down, and Jesus riding on a very young, unbroken animal says something about the king. The very one who has this power over creation, who was able to speak the world into existence by the power of his word, rode an unbroken colt into town. And there's spiritual significance in the fact that the the colt was unbroken. In the Old Testament, when an animal was was put to sacred use. It had to be one that, which was not already used for common purposes. It couldn't be used already for your chores and your tasks and your, your other things. It had to be set aside. And since this animal was now used for the Messiah, it had to be an animal that had never been ridden. Only the Lord of creation could do what Jesus did. But we also need to understand that Jesus Christ is coming to reign. It's not just a matter of who He is, His character. It's also what He's coming to do and is doing. He is coming to reign in our personal lives, and He's coming to reign in our corporate life as a church. We've kind of taken the idea of me and Jesus, it's just between Him and me, it's my personal relationship with Jesus. That's nice. But look at all the pictures that you see in the Old Testament, the New Testament, of how we are engrafted into the vine. It's this, this shoot, this kind of little branch, and what does God do? He, he cuts a little slit, and we're engrafted into it, ties it up, and out of that comes life. We're engrafted. Apart from being in that, we're dead. Paul gives the, also these images of we are the body of Christ. 
He has come to reign in us, the body of Christ. The mission and the vision and the purpose of the church is found not in ourselves, not in our own philosophies. It's found in something greater. It's found in our identity. is found in Christ. We're also called the church of the living God. We've got family pictures. We've got engrafting. We've got the church of the living God. We're a body. So He has come to reign in us corporately as well. And when we corporately understand that Christ is reigning over us and in us and through us in all kinds of different ways, do you understand what that does? Or what, I'm sorry, what it should do? It should so transform us. In our corporate worship, we understand that He is reigning. Zephaniah. I I heard an exposition of this uh, this past week. Zephaniah, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, so was that about four books back? The last chapter. Zephaniah chapter 3. Verse 14, again. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Huh. Seems to be a thematic thing. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the just, uh, judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. So the one who is king has all these character qualities. He is reigning in your midst. He's in your midst. He is right here today. Do you understand that? There is not a great Paul. There is a great Jesus Christ who is reigning in our midst. And on top of that, you shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. And listen to this, would you? Listen. For the Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. And He will... Listen. He will exalt over you with loud singing. So the God who is reigning over you, who is reigning in us and through us, that very King is doing what? He's singing loudly over us. Again, another picture of a humble king, a loving king, who is singing. God is singing. If we could just still our hearts and our lives for a little bit, maybe we could hear it. God is singing loudly over us. Love songs from God to us. The very King who saved you is singing over you. Do you get that? Throw away the Jim Brickman. Sorry, honey. 
Get over these love songs on, you know, Delilah at night. You know? We've got one who is singing greater songs over us. Jesus, the King. And so lastly, what, is, what should be our response to the fact that Jesus is King and He's coming to reign? Our response to Jesus the King should be to rejoice and to shout in triumph. That should be our response. Anything short is empty. It's not about your personal worship preference. It's about the king. I don't care if you can't carry a tune. Okay? Set the record straight, right here. And some of you are going, oh, I needed somebody to say that. (laughs) The very one who is singing over us wants us to rejoice greatly and to shout aloud. That's what his desire. There's double commands to rejoice greatly, to shout in triumph, exercise exuberant joy. Exuberant joy in church. I know. It's kind of a funny statement. But that's what he wants. He wants great joy. And if Jesus is your king, then we need to lift up your head and rejoice for your salvation is drawing near. I so want this for our church. I so want this for us. For us to be so in love with this Savior, with this King, that our hearts are so in tune with the song of heaven, of the angels who are singing before His throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Where we can we hear the angels' songs as they're singing around the throne, but we also hear the song that is being sung over us. And then when we when we sing and we worship and when we learn and we hear the word of God, that we hear him singing over us and saying, I have your best interests in mind. It might not look like you want it, but as your king, I am sovereign. And I have your best interests in mind. So sing greatly. Rejoice greatly. Shout aloud. So I've got to ask, how's your joy in Jesus? Have you ever, like over this week, have you taken the time to even... Is that a question that ever goes through your brain? How's my joy in Jesus? Am I deeply satisfied and filled and enjoying this King? Or am I caught up on this and that and this and that? Don't get me wrong. These are all things that are important in in our lives. But do we understand all these little things that are important in our lives, are under the reign of Jesus Christ. Do we? Or do we go about 
being our own king and living joyless lives. So how is your joy? I personally, I personally have to fight the flesh to gain this joy. Just as you do. And we've got to remember Galatians 5.22 says that one of the fruits of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit is what? Joy. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And it goes on. But joy is right, right there at the top. Joy is a mark of His people. Octavius Winslow, an old, old Baptist preacher, in the 1800s, wrote a, a little pamphlet called The Sympathy of Christ. And here's from that. The religion of Christ is the religion of joy. Christ came to take away our sins, to roll off our curse, to unbind our chains, to open our prison house, to cancel our debt. In a word, to give us the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Is this not joy? Where can we find joy so real, so deep, so pure, so lasting? There is every element of joy, deep, ecstatic, satisfying, sanctifying joy in the gospel of Christ. The believer in Jesus is essentially a happy man. I'm not sure he knew our church, but Essentially, he says, a happy man or woman. The child of God is, from necessity, a joyful man. His sins are forgiven. His soul is justified. His person is adopted. His trials are blessings. His conflicts are victories. His death is immortality. His future is a heaven of inconceivable, unthought of, untold, and endless blessedness. And he ends with this. With such a God, with such a God, such a Savior, and such a hope, is He not, ought He not, to be a joyful man? And all God's people said, Amen. Joy. Rejoice greatly. Shout aloud. Your king is coming. Wait, he's here. And he's singing over you. And here's where we're going to go. This is where you're coming in. You've done a lot of absorbing. I've even got a few amens. I've got to rejoice back there. You know, i got some of that that's really great. But here's the problem. We're, we're coming to this table... And this, this meal has been paid for. Not by the mescuses who bring the elements on a weekly basis. This meal has been paid for by the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ gave His body. And it is very easily, week in and week out, to just come forward and receive the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ poured out for you. Amen. And go sit down. But this, this should change the way that we come to the table. And so I want you to examine 
take one minute. And say, is my heart, is my life marked by this kind of joy? And do I understand not only his character, but is his reign taking place in my life? And therefore, am I rejoicing and shouting aloud? I want you to contemplate for a minute. And here's the task. I want you to put it out to the family. Out loud. If God places anything. It could be a short story. It could be a one, one word. It could be a sentence. And then we're going to do a prayer confession. And you're going to hear an assurance of pardon. And then we're going to come to the table with great rejoicing and singing some songs. So take one minute, still your heart, hear what God is saying, and be prepared to share. Share your confessions as prayers to God before your brothers and sisters. What has God laid on your heart? Not, not to be lukewarm, but to be either hot or cold. Revelation, selfishness, you need to tell Jesus that he is alive, tell people that Jesus is alive, he doesn't need to know, he knows, Andy, there's a king who's ruling over that. Having doubt, times of mistrust, undoubt, mistrust, whatever it is. Having those times, seasons. 
Who else? What else? struggles God is still in them and promises his joy what about corporately as a church and if you still got some individual stuff that's cool too Mm. worship him more and it doesn't have to just be songs either does it our whole life what else? Yeah, church becomes the motions, the, the weekly grind that we just kind of. Oh, Sunday. Sunday. And it's not a grind, it's, it's a work of adoration and love. Freebie. God's people said? Amen. Others. Taking Sunday morning for granted. Anyone else? If you want joy, you need to praise for it.
one of the things that we're going to do as we come to the table, before we come to the table, is a prayer of confession. So let's pray this together. Together. Righteous God, You have crowned Jesus Christ as Lord of all. We confess that we have not bowed before Him and are slow to acknowledge His rule. We give allegiance to the powers of this world and fail to be governed by justice and love. In Your mercy, forgive us. Raise us to acclaim Him as ruler of all, that we may be loyal ambassadors obeying the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And hear these words, and I will read them. Hear these words of assurance. Do not weep. See, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed. For His blood has purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. He has made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. And we say, Thanks be to God. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took the bread and He blessed it. And He said, This is My body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup of blessing and poured it out saying, this, this is my blood in the new covenant which is being poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would those who are serving please come forward? As a gift from our Lord, we receive the blessings, but then we're going to go into praise and worship. Some of you are going, okay, it's hard enough for me to shout and rejoice, let alone maybe do something creative with this in worship. So as you come from worship through the sacrament, I'm going to give each one of you a branch. And maybe it'll come real. The gift of the body and blood of Jesus Christ should lead us into Hosanna. Save us. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna, save us. And we'll worship together. Come, for all things are ready.